Austin. Yes. You put me in a precarious situation here. What did I do? Because in no way, shape, or form do I want to try and increase download numbers or make any kind of news talking about someone who, a genius, if you will, who recently passed, and after hearing all the wonderful accolades, take a contrarian opinion about this person. I mean, if we're going to do that, would you like to hear my hot take on what a horrible person Betty White was? (laughs) Oh, Jesus No, 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 no! Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 16th year, number 787, Inspiration and Transformation. Welcome to the first podcast of 2022. I'm going to pick up right where we left off last week and do a follow-up conversation with Matt Croak about my Sondheim tale, where I talked about the time I wrote an article analyzing the similarities between the musical The Fantastics and the two Stephen Sondheim and James Lapine collaborations, Sunday in the Park with George and Into the Woods. And then... I apologize to Mr. Sondheim for giving him the wrong impression, and then he sent me an incredibly ungracious response. Uh, Matt wanted to dig into the story of this podcast a little bit more, and not having anything else scheduled this week, I was happy to continue the conversation. Your last podcast, Austin Sondheim Tale, left it. it I felt it warrants a conversation. There's some more meat on this bone, so I thought let's talk a little more about influence and and the correspondence you had i just kind of want to dig into it you know i think i said uh, you know it's i wish i had a different story to tell about my encounter <laughs> with sana but it's the but it's the one i have but but several people responded to me just saying you know thank you for making him reminding us that he was as human as the rest of us <laughs> you know and could get um angry and defensive about uh, accusations against his own legacy and i was think and and one guy said um uh, you know, I got a three sentence letter from him and I sent him a fan letter. You got an entire page. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I was saying, yeah, well, you know, I, it's being scolded by a genius is its own reward. Well, it's interesting how many factors and, you know, off the bat, self-reflecting. Yes, you probably look and looking back, you probably should have offered him first rights to comment. Hey, we're going to write this article. You know, do you have it? And then you could say he chose not to, you know, uh, comment on this. Well, and, and the editors of Sondheim Review, with whom I'm still friends, were as surprised by his response as anybody. I mean, they've been pub- they'd been publishing a magazine filled with articles, analyzing, questioning, not attacking, but you know, uh, celebrating the man and his work by just dis- through discussion and analysis. And I and I they I thought and they thought this article was going to be another one of those well it it felt like a missed opportunity to have a conversation and it it did and listen the man's no longer around so we don't want to this isn't more about talking about someone who can't defend himself but it it did seem like a missed opportunity and it came off a little defensive to talk about influence versus you know theft because you know at the one at his letter he said i i'm going off memory something like um could you you know you talk about debt if, you know, well, if that's not an accusation, what is? Well, what would be with you saying, 
hey, did anyone notice Sondheim ripped off the Fantastics? <laughs> that would be a more accusation. And I, I wonder if he took the word debt too literally. I mean, if you read the first paragraph of the article, the first sentence, okay, fine. But if you read the rest of it, you're basically, and, and maybe he's sensitive to it. You know, I, I don't want to speak for him. Maybe he is trying to protect a legacy. But well, I think- not acknowledge it at all. It's not acknowledge influence at all. Yeah, that was the thing that surprised me. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm not the person he would have wanted to engage with on this topic, and I suspect other other um, uh, critics could have, or friends could have. I, I heard an interview. Uh, uh, Terry Gross on Fresh Air replayed some of her old interviews with him, and 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 he was a scold. I mean, he was he he was. A, always correcting a great he was a grammar nazi you know he was very meticulous in his wording which is why his confusing acknowledging a debt which is what i said with you're an outright plagiarist um (laughs) those are not synonymous those are not what those words mean um that was that was surprising but i but i can i know i can sense that he was not a man who wanted to be thought of as derivative of anybody, let alone indebted to a show that he clearly didn't like. Well, and that's what's, and that's, that's the other part. That's what's interesting is he clearly didn't like it, but he's using many of the same themes. So that in itself requires a kind doesn't require, it would be nice to talk about the arts more and talk about that process. Like, well, how could you dislike something so much that by coincidence you're saying, but you're using the same themes. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that was, and and that was what I was interested in having a conversation about. And, um, and, and that's, I think I said this, that's what I think th- this, in, this entire podcast has been about for 16 years, you know, or 15 years. It's, um, you know, that process of where you come by your inspiration and then how you transform that um, inspiration. I think, you know, since the advent of rap music, people have been, um, have been, uh, more aware of this idea of transformation and repurposing and sampling. And it's certainly, it's certainly a thing that the Reduce Shakespeare Company has done. I can't, I have done more joke parody versions of the to be or not to be speech than I've done of the actual speech, you know, and I've done how many different versions of Abbott and Costello's who's on first have we written? I can't remember. But it's always it's always clearly, I mean, at least I hope it is. It's clearly um, we are using this form and acknowledging that uh, this is Abbott and Costello's form, and we are taking it to a different level, using it to explore um, um, uh, uh, Shakespeare or explore whatever else or or Shakespeare's comedies. We've done it twice now, in fact. Well, I did some Google research on influence just to kind of get, and this was interesting. I read this. It says. What if I told you I read a story about a young wizard who was orphaned and sent away to learn magic? What if I told you the name of the wizard was Harry? Are you sure you know what book I'm talking about? If you guessed the Dresden Files, you're right. And how about another? Students attend a secret school to learn witchcraft and wizardry from experienced um, wizards. They also are sorted into dorm-style houses and their talents and affinities. And they explore a magical land full of fantastical beasts and centaurs and fairies. Would you guess Lev Grossman's The Magicians? So it's yeah. it's interesting because it's you do take, you know, that's kind of what influence can be is you take certain parts and make it your own. Now, yeah. you know, whether you acknowledge it or not, but I it that's 
Well, I, I, <laughs> I have this, I've had this conversation with several people who are quite religious and Christian. And I go, listen, I think stories are important. Absolutely, stories are important. I too, I too believe in, in a young man who died for our sins and came back to life. His name is Harry Potter. <laughs> Thank you for taking my Betty White controversy comment and upping it. To... <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, that's the thing. All of this stuff is in our culture. All, all of this stuff is in our in our mind, and and uh, it, Sondheim was a, a an avid theater goer. He went and saw a ton of stuff. So the the idea that he didn't know anything about the Fantastics or hadn't heard anything about the Fantastics or didn't know that the second act started with a tableau of people saying it's hot up here, um, uh, and it's it, strange it was, belief. Here's why I liked your podcast because and and this is where I really enjoy podcasts because I'm going to be honest through the whole thing I'm going. Oh, is he right? Is Austin right? Like I thought, oh, maybe, maybe he was blindsided. He shouldn't be. But then Austin has a point and then he got mad. And what I found uh, compelling is that when he wrote his letter, you know, when you wrote your apology and it's on the, if, if, if it's all not there, go to the website. It's all, Austin has them all listed on there. You write your apology and you go, okay, fair enough. You, you apologize. And then he writes back a letter. That's not very nice. And at first I'm on Sondheim's side, and then I go, well, well, hold on. Now, wait a second. The guy apologized. And what's difficult, and maybe he doesn't care, right? He's Stephen Sondheim. We get that. And I'm not disparaging him. But the fact is, he wanted you to take his word that he said, I don't know anything about this. I did not, was not influenced at all. Yet, your apology said, I was not accusing you of plagiarism. And his letter said, yeah, you were. You're disingenuous disingenuous it's like well wait a second hold on and then you're like well hold on if you want me to take you at your word that you didn't take from the fantastics you're gonna have to give me the same respect and take me at my word that i wasn't being accusing of plagiarism and then it gets interesting <laughs> again because you're going now you want to be like all right hold on my next letter is going to be wait a second hold on i can't yeah. we got to play on the same rules here well, I realized, uh, yeah, I realized he, he, it was clearly a letter meant to shut down any further engagement, which I was fine to do. Yeah. But I would have, I would have responded, listen, I understand you're upset, but you really, and I know, I get that you really hate the Fantastics, but you didn't really answer my question, you know, which was, were you aware of it? All I was asking was, were you aware of it? And I think I say in the article, were you influenced in ways that you don't even think you were influenced? Because I do that all the time. When Reed and I are doing a new show, I will, whether it's about whatever, all the great books or the history of comedy or, or whatever the subject matter is, I will seek out other new lives and new civilizations. I will seek out um, other parody versions of whatever the thing, other jokes and routines about whatever it is the topic is because my biggest fear is accidentally doing something that something somebody's already done you know and it also just helps when we're writing the show and when we're putting up the show i can i can say yeah, no you know what key and peel did a thing about this yeah or whoever did a thing about this um and i would rather and, and, and which is not to say that i won't do something similar as a homage or as a as a starting place to then riff in a different direction. Um, because I think it's important. It's important to know what else is out there on the theme that you're doing. I mean, when when I was in when I was in the BMI Music Theater workshop in the 80s in New York, 
I was part of a uh, part of the production of a show. I, I I helped write the book of the show for a pair of songwriters. It was it was called Goose Exclamation Point Beyond the Nursery. Hmm. And this was in, God, 88, maybe, 87, 88. Uh, and, and it was basically a bunch of songs and riffs about Mother Goose, Mother Goose characters and stories and rhymes. And, um, um, and some of the songs were really cute. And we never came up with a book that made it, that made <laughs> the whole show work. It was kind of stupid and terrible, but it was not dissimilar to what Into the Woods was doing. Yeah. You know, taking a bunch of familiar characters and 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 putting them together in into a new story. But you I mean, I I'm pretty sure that they wrote this kind of in the on the heels of or in the midst of Into the Woods. And so there was this. How could you not be aware of uh, the things that other people are doing? Well, and that and that's where this is not in my mind. That's why I jokingly said, you know, I have no interest in trying to. This isn't about oh, Stephen Steinheim. Let's take a contrarian point to you know a genius. Yeah. This is really what's what's interesting about this. This is a conversation about. It's not even about uh, Stephen Steinheim. It's about influence and as artists holding, c- controlling your own narrative. And like any other controversy, if he would have come back and said, you know what, it, it could be possible. Like, there's a lot of things out there. You know, story's over. But when the letter's basically like, nope, ne- never even heard of the word influence, then you're like, well, wait a second. <laughs> right? It's that mystery. Now we're trying to solve a puzzle going, hold on, wait, you've never? Like, you you didn't take the opportunity to, to say, yeah, it's possible. And then you have nothing to fight it off for. I mean, it's, I want, and that's really what this is about as artists. And there's a great comedians in the car getting coffee with Brian Regan and Seinfeld. They both have a man going to the moon joke, very similar. And they tell it to each other and they really didn't know it happens, but they talk about it. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the, the conversation. There was a great, I love this. And now I want to be clear. Artists should not be, you don't steal from artists. People need to get paid. So I'm not taking that right. point, but Olivia Rodrigo, she wrote a song and she's been accused kind of of sampling or taking from people anyway. And she had another song that came out and some guy named Billy Edwards, he, he's just a regular person, nothing. He wrote when it said um, a tweet came out saying artwork for sour prom has similarities to the whole album live. And this guy wrote no kidding. Although he didn't say kidding. He said, first song on the album is pretty much a direct lift from Elvis Costello. Elvis Costello himself tweets, and I love this tweet. He tweeted, this is fine by me, Billy. It's how rock and roll works. You take the broken pieces of another thrill and make it a brand new toy. That's what I did. And then he hashtagged some songs that referenced him, you know, influence. What a refreshing tweet to somebody say, hey, it's rock and roll. I mean, it's right. Leave it to the rock and roll, rock and roll, babe. Well, I mean, I mean, there, it, there's that joke, it, certainly in the theater, that you know, everybody steals, but you got to steal from the best, and that's glib and that's flip, but it acknowledges the fact that you know we're not operating in a vacuum. There's there's no point in pretending that what you every everything you do is not in some way inspired or influenced by everything that's come before, even if the influence is a negative one. Even you go, oh God, I can do better than that, <laughs> or or that's terrible, but I want to work on this, develop this theme in my own way. Um, to pretend that your influences aren't there, 
Um, and I think that's a, I agree with you. That's incredibly gracious of Elvis Costello because I think it also acknowledges another thing. Once you put your work out there, you don't, you, you kind of don't control it. You can't control. It's like your children. They will grow up and live their lives and people will have opinions about them and interpret them in different ways. And, um, um, and that was another thing that I think Sondheim was critical of in his later years of people misinterpreting uh, his work or interpreting his work in ways he didn't appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, um, he also, I, again, he's human like the rest of us. Absolutely. He, he wrote a huge op-ed about, I think in the New York Times, about a production of Porgy and Bess that happened a few years ago, well, maybe probably 10 years ago now on Broadway with Audrey McDonald. And it kind of transformed the piece and changed it in ways to make it less um, horribly racist in the way that it was when when it was written. And he just came out, just said, a blanket, you don't do this. You don't do this with problematic works. But he hadn't seen it. He 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 didn't know anything about it other than what he had heard, so it was just sort of a blanket accusation about you don't do this with with certain works, even though the people who were doing this had the permission of the estates of the creators of Porgy and Bess. So it was absolutely an authorized thing, and I and that was when the bloom first began to fall off the rose for me about Stephen Sondheim when when I went oh right. Yeah, he can be as petty and as big of a jerk as many people. Hi, this is Scott Bakula, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Okay, can you please take the gun away from my head now? Where can you RSC the RSC? We are still the remote Shakespeare Company because we just found out that because of the Omicron variant spike nationwide, we are having to postpone our performances in Michigan in two weeks. These performances were going to be at the Wharton Center in East Lansing, Michigan, and at Hillsdale College. We're very bummed about this. Um, If you have tickets already, please contact the venue. But we do hope to get back out on the road and reschedule these performances just as soon as we can. And now back to my conversation with Matt Croak about inspiration and transformation and about some of our specific influences. And even getting back to influence, even if you watch any, you know, most... uh, interview shows for celebrities or even you know when you know led zeppelin monty python they're always going to get asked who are you influenced by and maybe artists do kind of bristle to that because they think it might be coming from a place of you you know i don't want to talk about plagiarism but we as human beings it's storytelling 101 from the days of sticks and you know came and writing on walls we tell stories and our stories are what define us and to connect the dots of influence what you're doing is you're connecting the story so people who are also artists who like Sondheim could then follow who he liked and then follow who they liked. And then before you know it, more creativity, more brainstorming. It's no different than sitting in, in a business boardroom and saying, okay, we got to solve this problem. No idea is a bad idea. Yeah. We got to hear it all. If you don't have those kind of brainstorming sessions, you're not going to get the good ideas. That's what influence is. I want to hear all your ideas. I want to hear from this play, this play. And your article, which well, I thought was a missed opportunity, is whether or not you intended or used the right word, you backed up all of your very intelligently 
here's how this act starts. Here are the words that connect. It was a great connecting the dot that made it interesting. It's too bad he didn't, you know, I guess the word debt really threw him off, but it was a very compelling conversation that he didn't want a part of. Well, and I just read, I just read um, James Lapine's book, Putting It Together, which which apps chronicles, it's sort of an oral history of, of the people who were involved with the creation of Sunday in the Park with George. Again, a musical I love. Um, and, and, and I thought, oh, well, maybe he'll say something about the opening of Act Two and how it resembles um, the Fantastics. He did not. But I, it also occurred to me, wait, Sondheim was the one to respond to the article. James Lapine didn't respond to the article, interestingly. Yeah. And maybe he never heard about it, which is also fair. But, um, but he says in the book that, uh, that, that Sondheim brought in that song, to very funny song to open Act Two with no acknowledgement. You know, people may say, well, come on, Reduce Shakespeare Company, you guys influence. I mean, let's talk. Who are your, what are your guys' influences? Like, how how has influence affected the RSC and you as a writer? We look to the past to be our inspirator. We look beyond the fringe to the fireside theater. Likes the goons, the pythons, stooges, the brothers Marx. We gobble up influences like we are hungry sharks. We're not afraid to be musical vultures. We're three white boys ripping off black culture. We'll say it, we'll rap it, whatever it takes to give Bill Shakespeare back the shakes. We take it ODT. And I swore I would never do this, but I wrote a rap song in 30 years ago for the Rudy Shakespeare radio show, um, um, listing our influences. Um, and the, I don't know, the, 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 the Ab and Costello, um, yeah. The Goon Show, Monty Python, The Marx Brothers, um, uh, uh, any uh, tons of sitcoms, um, stand-ups, um, Bill Cosby, God bless him. I, I, right. You know, no, don't God bless him. No, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but his material, you know, and George Carlin, you know, formative, formative comedians for me um, um, growing up, but also sitcom performers, Dick Van Dyke as a performer, you know, um, um, uh, uh, vaudeville. Fireside Theater, you know. You yeah, Fireside Theater, vaudeville, um, silent movies. Uh, so many, so many different influences, and we just draw from all of it. And some of it is from, I mean, from the complete works, from the creation, well, the complete works itself <laughs> was inspired <laughs> by Tom Stoppard's Dog's Hamlet, you know, and all of our shows, all of the, most of the Reduce Shakespeare Company shows, except for our two most recent ones, sort of follow that template of uh, of the template of the complete works three that's become the company style so as a writer when you're writing the shows how do you filter stuff that comes in and you go i think this has been done i think it's more of a pull than an influence it's it's a it's a challenge because not only are we worried about pulling um uh, from other people we're worried about pulling from ourselves yeah we when we did that extravaganza in reston whatever it was eight years ago now um and we did eight of our ten, then 10 shows in rep over two weeks, our brains were mushed, but we kept discovering, oh, we have this almost this identical joke in like two or three shows. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here's a setup where we, here's the same setup, but with a different punchline. And this, uh, oh, look, I've made a Star Trek reference again. <laughs> um, you know, there are these wells that we continue to go to. Well, and, and and going back to Olivia Rodrigo, by the way, just because I'm sure there's people are up to, she did have to give on some of her songs credit. So I do support if she's taking too much, she needs to do that. And I love the, I mean, talk about stealing from yourselves. You you know the John Fogarty lawsuit, right? Credence Clearwater Survival sued him 
on his solo album saying he stole from him them their sound and John Fogerty's like but it's me I'm John Fogerty and in court he pulled out a guitar and said this is how I sound this is my and he won but oh. they try to sue him to say your solo album is, is stealing from us and he's like but I was the main guy in your band how so, can i not steal from it's me it's very it's very interesting the former member i mean the the, the remaining members of Creedence clearwater revival <laughs> sued the founding member yes. defining member correct, correct. <laughs> because he stole their sound <laughs> wow and he wow yeah. no i know you can't i mean maybe i'll feel differently when i'm in my 80s <laughs> you know, how dare you criticize? How dare you say that my comedy is formulaic? Well, it I, I it is. I mean, <laughs> our our comedy is. I mean, the thing I love about the thing I love about what we do um, is is that we incorporate so many different kinds of not only humor, uh, well, different kinds of humor from all sorts of styles, but also good humor and bad humor. I mean, sometimes yeah. we'll intentionally incorporate a bad joke or an old joke in the, in the service of a, the larger goal of reducing a topic, of, of, of making, of, of, of puncturing the balloon of pomposity whenever we threaten to get pompous because we are satirizing not only the subject matter, but how the subject matter is frequently taught and, uh, and and presented or performed if it's Shakespeare. Um, so we're puncturing not only everybody else's pomposity, but hopefully our own. But again, the the main theme to bring it around again, it's, but you never in, in when I toured and we would go out in the lobby, you never shied away from the conversation. And you said, well, maybe I'll feel different when I'm older. Yeah, maybe, but you'll, I don't think you'll feel different to say, let's talk about that. Let's let's explore that because those conversations, it's really look when we when you know it's it's such a you know, I don't know what it's like to be a genius, you know, I don't know what it's like to be, you know, you, oh, I'll like, tell you, Matt, I'll let you oh, know. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> You'll tell me how it's like for me to be, or for you to it's unclear on who's the genius, me or you, but let's just let's leave that unclear for now. Um it's almost like the the struggling actor who gets the, the sitcom that defines their life and then they, sp they spend the rest of their life running from that character. Like it's, it's fascinating. And maybe he feels, well, I don't need to have these conversations, but we want to know from the Stephen Sondheims in the world, what makes you tick? And it doesn't mean he has to tell us, True. but it did seem a little, you know, uh, you know, um, me thinks I'll protest too much of, you know, Influence? I never heard of the word influence. Oh, okay, well, you know, and that's that's really what, you know, again, for, you know, artists and people out there, that control control your narrative would be seem to be a better idea when you're talking craft. And just briefly, you know, you did mention that uh, Sondheim wrote a piece upset about how this was redone or revamped, you know, to take out certain words that he didn't feel need to. How do you handle that? I mean, with, with the oh. current climate and just with, with, with references in general, how do you handle scripts you've already written 10 years ago? Yeah, we do that all the time. I mean, uh, 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 I mean I'm not just like the America show. Uh, we have to, we, uh, we say, you know, they keep writing American history, so we have to keep abridging it <laughs> and rewriting the script. Um, 
Um, but there are jokes that we've written, you know, 20 years ago that are that aren't funny anymore. There are there are jokes we've written three years ago that aren't funny uh, anymore. There are jokes you're about to write that won't be funny. That, that won't be funny, and we will cut yeah. them immediately. Yeah. Um, uh, nobody wants to stand on stage telling a joke that d- has stopped working. So it's not even it's not even just we don't reference Cato Kalin anymore because nobody knows who he is. It's like we don't I don't know we do, I don't think we make as many easy gay jokes for instance. Right. You know um, I don't think we I I hope we don't do any more um, funny racist voices anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know um, because it's just. It was it was a different time, and you can and that defends a lot of things. But if you're not changing it, in fact, I think I just I just tweeted this this morning. You know, nothing nothing shows how old and unfunny you are by complaining how young people won't let you be funny anymore. <laughs> you know, if you if they don't if, if people aren't laughing at your jokes, tell better jokes. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for a few more influences I'll share with you in about 60 seconds. So stick around. Send us your inspirations and transformations via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareans.com. Thanks as always to Lady Who Lunches, Matthew Croak, Web Services by Ginger Power Limited, Music by John Weber and Garage Band, and by me in our parody of Naughty by Nature's OPP from the Reduced Shakespeare Radio Show, and also in the song I Laughed Till I Cried, which you're about to hear. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Alastair Bruce. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to musical comedy star and starship captain Scott Bakula. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, get vaccinated, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 787-2361sts of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. I laughed till I cried, I thought I would die. When Dick Van Dyke came in the door, tripped over the ottoman onto the floor. My very favorite joke machine was Mad Magazine. The Knights Husseini, they just destroyed me when Arthur rode across the moors and Michael Palin said, Someday, lad, all this will be yours. What, the curtains? No, not the curtains, lad. What's wrong with her? She's beautiful, she's rich, she's got huge tracks for land. Everyone just howled with glee, not just me. I love Looney Tunes, they were always so funny, like Porky and Daffy, especially Bugs Bunny, plus Chaplin and Keaton and Goofy, and now Mr. Bean. The Coens, the Zuckers, the Farrelly Brothers, John Hughes, Billy Wilder, and a couple of others made some of the funniest movies that I've ever seen. They made me laugh till I cry, plus Laurie and Fry. And the Fireside Theatre and Bob and Ray, Lily Tomlin and Will Ferrell and Tina Fey. And Spinal Tap was my idea of heaven. It goes to eleven. I laughed till I cried. I thought I would die. Watching make them laugh and singing in the rain or Woody Allen sneezing cocaine. 
Speaking of which, I always loved Richard Pryor. He was on fire. Gilda Radner, Gene Wilder, Bill Murray, Steve Martin, Phyllis Diller, and Borga and Mel Brooks and Farton, Red Skelton, Three Stooges, The Goon Show, and Fanny Bryce. I loved Annie Kay in the Courtchester sword fight and Animal House with that funny food court fight. I saw Bill Hicks Rance and Second City Improvise. And Edmund Blackadder's a bit of a wizard and Patton Oswalt and Chris Rock Eddie Izzard and Don Rickles said racist things with a comical snarl. Amy Schumer and Polar, the nutty professor, Weird Al and Stan Freeberg, Tom Lehrer and Frank Lesser and Groucho and Chico and Harpo and Zeppo and Carl. The great Peter Seller, so solemn and silly, and Eddie and Robin and Whoopi and Billy and Jonathan Winters forever had me on the floor. Ooh, and Carol Burnett, who was funny and generous, Mae West, Dorothy Parker, and Ellen DeGeneres, and Rhoda and Mary Tyler, and so many more. Anyway, I laughed till I cried, but now I am fried, cause things are pretty tough today, but alone together we'll make it okay. Cause if I did not know how to laugh, I would cry. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.